Hello, you're listening to Shorthand, a guide to making a short film, a BFI network and Film Hub Southeast podcast. Whether you're actively making a short film or passively thinking about it, this is a podcast designed to help you on the journey from coming up with a compelling short film idea to editing it into a finished product. Applications for the BFI Network Short Film Fund open next week on the 14th of March, so if you're considering applying, definitely check out our previous episodes on writing, directing, producing, budgeting and casting for guidance on that process. In this episode, we're going to be talking about crewing up. You'll hear from a producer, development and production executive and an animator about how you find the right people to work on your film with you. Please note that all these interviews are recorded over Zoom, and in this episode we encounter some technical glitches and occasional background noises. When crewing up for a short film, you have to see really how can you do things that are streamlined and safe. So obviously you have a director, you have a producer, I would always have a line producer, a director of photography, a first assistant camera, a second assistant camera. And I would always think that sound is as important. I would always have a boom up and a sound recordist. And some shorts I've heard don't have boom ups, but I think that's a mistake because image and sound are so important. That's Amina Ayub Allen, an award-winning independent film producer and Screen Daily star of Tomorrow, whose credits include the BAFTA-winning feature Rocks and Clio Barnard's latest BAFTA-nominated feature Ali and Ava. Amina has also produced a variety of short films. She won Best Short Film at the National Film Awards for the BFI Network-backed Above and was shortlisted for a Biffa and Oscar for the live-action short The Road Home. You're about to hear her discuss how to be creative when it comes to crewing up, getting references and how you know you're working with good people and some of the more abstract or less technical considerations that come into play when thinking about who you want on your crew. So could you just have one person in costume? Is makeup very heavy or could you have a couple of days of just a makeup designer and somebody else? Do you need an AD team? And it, it really comes down to finances because obviously you'd want to have everyone and doing a short film as a producer is really challenging. So it's about being really clever and thinking, these are my resources. What can I afford? And how many, how many people can I afford on the shooting crew in terms of paying the minimum wage? And what sits outside this? So really working out what are the bare bones of what you need. In terms of finding crew, the short that I recently wrapped shot in Bradford, Yorkshire. So going to Screen Yorkshire, going to the BFI local hub and network and see who's been working on short films in the area. So I would start with that. And we were also contacted by Mandy.com. So that could be an avenue. I quite like to see who locally are graduates from the film school. So In our case, it it was the Northern Film School in Leeds. I would try and make opportunities for film students that are work experience. So they're working for expenses during the shoot and that makes your budget also stretch further. And we also were quite clever. So when you've worked with people before in a professional capacity, we had our, the person that I normally work with as a transport captain who worked on Ali and Ava and the the latest Carol Morley film that I did. 
And he came on and organized the minibus and, and was a transport captain, but he was also casting and facilitating the actual action vehicles. He was doing catering. He was really being a unit production manager. That's great. And he'll, he'll get a credit for that work. Getting references for crew is really important and it is good to get a few, but if you're in a position where, and this happens on, on features as it happens on shorts, you lose someone, then you're trying to get someone in as soon as possible and it's who's available. But I would always talk to two to three references, the key roles and the way that um, crewing works is that often the head of department, so your director of photography or your costume designer or your production sound mixer will bring the boom up that they want so there's an element of that and if they're happy and they feel that they're supported and their team works then I'm very happy as a producer I think if you're a good producer you always put a lot of thoughts into the makeup of your team and how that will work and for rocks director Sarah Gavron and I sat down six months before we we had the resources more to think about the team and you have to do it in a scaled down way with short films because it's about who's available and what will work with your budget but for instance with and their music mingles it's a queer love story set in Bradford and it was very important for me as a producer to hire HODs and crew that were queer that also were of British Asian diaspora because that's also the makeup of the lead protagonists and I very much wanted to work with Yorkshire talent I'm really believe in it and I'm not based in Yorkshire but for me it's just populating the film with as many as people from those three groups was very important and we did succeed in that. Next up Amina talks about rates, communication, workflow and making the impossible possible. In terms of the budget and the rates paying crew on short films, you know, short films are not a commercial prospect. They aren't TV, they aren't films. Everyone will be doing more than what they're actually paid for. So with a BFI supported short film, it differs from a short film you're going to make with your contacts because you might have a short film that you make with your contacts like I did with The Road Home um, shot in India where actually... We weren't paying the international crew, but what we were saying is come on this adventure and we'll pay your airfare and put you up but and feed you, but this is it. Whereas with a with a BFI funded short where it's stipulated or a broadcaster where you have to pay minimum wage to the shooting crew, that's what you have to do. And then I think it's like you can only take it as minimum wage and you know that's going to go up in April. I like to give slightly more and so it's a flat £100 a day but you know if there's prep if you can put some more in for like a prep and and wrap allowance then you do that but it's it's all comes down to numbers because actually you'd love to pay everyone for every moment they're working on the film including yourself the director and writer but unfortunately you know, we, I haven't had a short where I've actually been paid, paid, um, because it's, we just want to make the best film. Communication, when you don't have money, is really key when making a short. Communication when making any film is really key. And I think if you can communicate well so that everyone's on the same page, 
about the work and what we're doing and we don't have too many resources here um, but everyone feels appreciated and valued I think that's that's what you can do and and people should and should be encouraged to talk about any concerns in terms of health and safety or in terms of anything else they might be worried about and the thing is that with the workflow of a short film you know sometimes things can go wrong but you should ensure that for instance you send round an actual workflow before shooting which the DIT and the production sound mixer the editor the DOP are all in on and the director so that you know exactly what is the aspect ratio what speed is sound at so you you have all of that really clear and ensure that you have you know your drives with the master footage and they're treated like gold and you have multiple drives because it would be terrible to wrap your short and not have the footage or secure footage so I think really be speaking and with where you might bring in people that you have worked with, just really communicate that there is no budget here and or, you know, but if you if there really is a problem, which always happens as it does on every film, come and talk to me about it. I've exec produced a short film recently and they were behind schedule because of the storm. And it was really communicating and prioritizing what had to be filmed. So you you have to be adaptable as a filmmaker and you have to think of solutions all the time and you have to make the impossible possible. Finally, Amina offers her advice for upcoming producers on setting the tone on your set, as well as keeping your crew safe and everyone's morale high. In terms of setting the tone when you're making a short, everyone knows that you won't be there for very long. That can make a nice atmosphere. But really treating people as well as you can with the resources so if that means bringing donuts you know we kind of consulted with the crew about what they would have liked to have had for meals because we're not having unit catering like we would on a feature so we organized for when we were in Bradford you know curry from a particular restaurant and just sort of things to kind of keep the morale and mood and we were and and actually we were working night shoots which is really punishing 5 30 p.m to 4 30 in the morning but the crew were absolutely lovely there was a great atmosphere but just being on on the same page and having that kind of short film camaraderie that's very valuable but for me even though our budget I would say you know couldn't afford it it was very important for me to have security so that everyone bringing their equipment and because we're filming at night to make everyone feel secure that was important And also ensuring that everyone could speak to me, including, and that includes the cast as well. And really thinking about spaces where they are going to change and have their makeup done and kind of small green room areas. And and actually to increase the comfort, we had a minibus for all four days because that meant the crew was kept together. It was it was easier if something was missing. It could ferry people back and forth. And I took a, a judgment to have a, a unit base whilst we we're filming in a, in a car park because we were filming through the night and, and the restaurants wouldn't open at the time we needed the meal break. So it's just kind of really thinking through everything and thinking, just almost imagining yourself in the day and thinking, well, what do you need? And, and you know, very established producers say it always ends up boiling down to toilets and minibuses. And I think that's true. 
In terms of advice for producers and crew, it is really a challenge on a short film, getting the crew in this day and age because it is so busy out there. But if you can speak to other producers that filmed in the area, if you can have some execs working on the film that could that can help and support if you can think out of the box when it comes to crew it's a really good opportunity uh, working on a short to see how well you can work with someone when I produced a BFI supported short seven years ago I asked um, costume designer Sophie O'Neill to design it who I had known as a costume supervisor from the BFI feature, The Selfish Giant. So Sophie came and she designed that short film brilliantly. And she's got some big credits as an assistant costume designer. But really it was showing the work from that film to director Clio Barnard that then meant, and I said it was a really great experience. So Sophie ultimately got the costume designer role on Ali and Ava. So there's real value in terms of working with new people and also people in higher up roles uh, during short films. Really in terms of making the crew happy and productive because you really want a productive, hardworking crew. It's really looking after them and making sure that they can do the best with the resources they have. And sometimes you do have to say, look, we can't afford this. Can you challenge yourself in this way? And sometimes with features and short films, going for the lower budgeted route can sometimes have unexpected creative bonuses. When you're looking to hire a crew for the short you're making, the most important thing that you do is watch shorts and watch as many as you can, either online, you know, there's loads of channels on YouTube, like on the Leto, or um, Short of the Week is another great website to catch shorts on Vimeo. Um, we'll go to as many short film festivals as possible. There are loads in the UK. We'll give a few a shout out. The Glasgow Short Film Festival, Leeds, um, London Short Film Festival, like all around the country, Aesthetica, Get Encounters. There are just so many in the UK. So definitely take advantage of that because not only do you get the opportunity to w- watch shorts and see who's in the credits, but you um, also get to expand your network to meet other short filmmakers as well that would be my sort of top tip for identifying people that you want to work with that's alice whitmore a development and production exec at film four and formerly the talent exec for bbc network wales here she gives her advice for hiring crew how you find people full stop but then also how you find people that share your creative sensibilities I would also say ask for recommendations because the industry is very much, you know, it's it's about in a positive way, in a negative way. It's about who you know, especially with freelancers, you're sort of relying on recommendations and putting yourself out there. So asking people that, you know, um, and respect for recommendations of crew, I think is is a good thing to do. And And, and one of the I'm not a big social media person, but um, I know that a lot of people find crew on Instagram. So I'm, I'm basically endorsing some casual stalking, but in a in a in a good way <laughs> that hopefully has good outcomes for everyone. And I would say as well, in terms of finding people that you think might share the same sensibility as you creatively, 
in terms of you know how they how they like to work the story they're looking to tell I would say consider the scale of what you're doing you know your what level are the people that you're reaching out to at are they at a similar level to you or are you sort of are your expectations realistic basically about the crew that you want to get what's your budget is the key question there how much can you afford to pay people because a lot of I mean, I'm sure I'll bring this point up quite a few times, but a lot of freelancers now are are used to getting huge rates by the streamers. So you're not going to compete with, you know, maybe the, the top people in the industry if you're making a self-funded short. So definitely like try and see like who's coming up at the same time as you. Obviously, that's a great perk of going to film school is that you have that inbuilt network there around you. But that's not to say you have to go to film school to find that network. So definitely sort of reach out to your peers and try and identify who they are. Finally, I'd say just from a creative standpoint in terms of like the story you're looking to tell, if you're going to get, so I was talking maybe then more about, you know, if you've got a limited budget and frankly, I'd say all shorts are made on quite a limited budget. But if you've got, if you're lucky enough to get, you know, a chunk of money from say a funder like BFI um, film for, for example, BBC Film or a broadcaster. If you've got some money there, you'll, you've already come past the first hurdle by um, getting the commission. And in that in that commissioning process, you will no doubt be interrogated about why you want to tell the story. Like, why is the story important to you? Um, and so, authenticity is like key. So, if if you're if you're wanting to get money, or if you're wanting to get crew on board to help you tell your share your creative vision I think you know you're going to want to make sure that they are the right people to help you tell that story because that will be interrogated at some point along the way. In the next segment Alice discusses how producers or exec producers can support filmmaking teams in finding their crew as well as the approvals process for selecting your crew members especially key creatives. She also provides her tips on approaching your potential heads of department and how you can assess if that person is the right fit for your project. I've previously worked at BFI Network as a talent executive and my current role, I'm development and production executive at Film4. I have also produced a couple of shorts myself and through my through those talent executive roles, I've, I've been an exec producer. So in terms of supporting filmmaking teams in finding their crew, Working with funders, it, there's a big approvals process. That's all part of getting funding is that fund, your funder will want approval on all your um, HODs. They won't go out there and recruit them for you. That's your job. But, you know, we will expect to to get a, a list of who these people are and their CVs and and, and approve it. And I, I've not, to be honest, there's been so few occasions where I've actually had to sort of comment on somebody and say, like, is this the right person? Like more often than not, the filmmaking teams that are seeking approval on the people they want to work with, like have, or, to be honest, already have a kind of network around them that who they are collaborators who they, they know they want to work with. If you're not at that stage yet, then that's the beauty of like going out and making something is you can try it out with this group or with different crew members you know, if you're really stuck in identifying, say, an editor or um, you don't get your first choice DOP, then obviously that's what your funders are there for. They're there to sort of help you, you know, reach out to some people. And Film4, I should say as well, like BFI and Film4 will send out, and I'm sure other funders have a sort of production pack with links on, you know, where you could look for crew. 
and particularly, I guess, as well, the funders have a remit to make sure that your the people you're hiring are diverse um, and your crews are inclusive. So, you know, we'll, we'll expect you to make a special effort to identify crew from underrepresented backgrounds and give people that maybe haven't had the opportunity to work on a funded or that opportunity. My tips on uh, approaching uh, HODs and crew that you want to work with I mean, it's really simple. I would say just get in touch in a friendly um, way. So it could be, yeah, through DMs on Instagram, could be sending an email, you know, obviously it's a freelance industry. So crew members usually have their own websites and with their emails on there. If you're, you know, looking for somebody at short notice, you probably need to go old school and give them a call. (laughs) But usually I'd say just a friendly, like, you know, hey, you know um this is a bit about the film your work looks great you know your experience looks great would love to have a chat and maybe being upfront as well in that initial approach depending on what the platform is because obviously if it's instagram it's you probably just want a quick like can we have a chat if it's an email you might want to give a bit more information about you know what the fee is what the expectations are you know is this a funded short is this something that you're basically asking somebody to do for no money or a favor in which case i mean definitely be diplomatic and thoughtful about what you're asking of people if it's the cold approach if you're you know asking them basically to work for you for free you might want to sort of sweeten them up a little bit first and get to know them (laughs) so it's all like common sense really and it's about you know communicating and and being friendly because I think that does matter and people will come on board projects if they can see the creative vision, even if there is no money, because that's why we're all here really is for the love of film and to sound corny, but the love of the art and making art. So if people are sort of enticed by what you're trying to do, they might say yes, but you have to, you know, show that you're, you're going to give them a nice experience if they're not going to get um, rewarded financially from it. You know, it's very common in the industry for people to say like, oh, do you know this person? You know, would you recommend working with them? So definitely don't be afraid to do that obviously do it in a you know it's not meant to be in a sort of gossipy way it's meant to be a you know just a due diligence checking way those are the kind of questions you know you could ask just to give some examples so you know if you're looking to hire somebody for the art department it's like did that did their previous shorts come in on budget for a first ad like they need to be a master scheduler so ask their advice maybe in in terms of like how would you schedule this and just have a chat about it without asking them to do much work before you actually give them the job and I think just it's really important obviously I've kind of touched on this but to it's really important to set expectations up front in terms of what you're asking of them what's the fee what are the hours what are the demands you're putting on this person because if that becomes a sort of nasty surprise later down the line, then that relationship is only going to sour. So definitely, like, again, it's all about communication. Finally, Alice provides insight on how producers can support crew members who might be trying out new roles or upskilling on your short film set, as well as what you can do when crew members fall through and you need to source replacements. So an aspect of short filmmaking that's really great um, and why it sort of exists as like, a step in the industry before you go in and make feature films is just getting a chance to try different roles and try out you know your peer group and who you're working with so giving crew you know a chance to flex their muscles in a particular role 
Um, and, and you do often find, it's particularly in self-funded shorts, that people are doing multiple roles, which I wouldn't really endorse, but um, obviously budgets can be tight. Definitely all roles in uh, the film industry exist for a reason. So it, it's crazy, really, the expectations that are on shorts, because you do essentially kind of need all the crew that you would need on a feature film, because you're still making a film, like you're still making the same product, it's just a shorter film. But ideally, like everyone is there or everyone is clear about what they're doing and, and is prepared to perform maybe more than one role. You know, it, again, it's communication and, and being clear about that. Another, I guess, on just in terms of being on the funding side um, and commissioning funded short films, again, there's a there's a real drive for giving opportunities to those that are under, currently up, underrepresented in the sector. So there are shadowing schemes, for example, or training, trainee schemes. The screen skills is kind of the go-to place for all of those. Um, and I, I should also mention that screen skills has a really useful like breakdown of all the roles in the film industry um, and the departments, which is really good. And it kind of gives you some, some tips on like your way into that role. Um, but I think everyone needs to be on the same page as that. Like you don't want um, maybe a really experienced DOP being assisted by in the camera department by people that have never picked up a camera before. I think you need to sort of match people up or at least, again, communicate. Time is so precious. So you don't want any faffing around or people like not seeing eye to eye. The process of making a short film is it's very rare that it's not uh, you're not under pressure a lot of short films are shot in sort of two to four days so your schedule is really tight and there's a lot you've got to achieve in that short amount of time not often as I've spoken about for little money so if say a crew member falls through at the last minute and you've got to find a last minute replacement how do you navigate finding somebody who's not maybe your first choice um, and also having to rush them through prep I mean I think most producers will tell you that this happens all the time and it's so common again because it's so busy at the moment in terms of production um, it's a freelance industry so crew you know very reasonably drop out if they're offered a better rate elsewhere and that is happening all the time because the streamers um, are dominating the industry and have that money to pay people at, at an amazing day rate I'm not gonna lie it's gonna be the producer's going to feel under huge amounts of pressure to try and find a replacement. But you do have to just explore all the avenues that kind of already spoken about, check all these, these databases, put call outs, get your friends to like, you know, if they're working in the industry too, to do an Instagram story, like, you know, go all out in terms of trying to find a replacement. And I think definitely just be honest about why you're looking um, again you know, explain the circumstances. Like we had somebody drop out, this is why. So yeah, being honest, being diplomatic, being clear about what the time constrictions are and what you're expecting of them. Make sure everyone knows what they're signing up to and just make them feel like included. So like even though it's going to be a challenging time, it'll hopefully be a good experience and you will get a good film at the end of it. Collaboration for me is definitely really, really central to my practice. I often 
feel like I'm uninspired by my own design style at the start of a project uh, and have to kind of exploit others' skills to feel galvanised to begin, if that makes sense. So I don't think there's like a key collaborator that I always go to. There's no kind of like ant to my deck. It's more just like project to project. I feel like I feel drawn to different creatives. That's Anna Ginsberg, an award-winning filmmaker whose short films traverse stop motion, live action and her signature hand-drawn 2D animation. She's here to provide her perspective on crewing your animated short film, why the people you might reach out to will differ depending on the aesthetic of your film, at what stage she starts making approaches and how you entice them to come and work or play with you. And I'm currently reaching out to a whole new range of people to just steal their skills (laughs) to be like a leech to their to their skills so yeah I think it's very very much based on the project and the aesthetic that I'm trying to do project project to project with regards what stage I start reaching out um, and developing these collaborations when I get a job it that again really really depends on the job so sometimes in the pitching stage so if it's a commercial project I will and I feel like it would really really help to get an illustrator on board for the pitch, we'll get them on instantly. But if it's something more like a short film, I will do a lot of personal development up front. So I will make a pitch document and then from there we'll send that out to try and hook people in as a collaboration. So for this short film I'm currently developing, I've already worked on it for like two months and then I'll send that out to whether it be actors, uh, illustrators, storyboard artists, fellow animators that I think would be good for specific things, whether it be character animation or dance sequences or lip sync. It's kind of like, I don't think I'm the best at everything and I'm not a particular like auteur, like I'm not like a fussy, I'm, I'm not, I think it's amazing when people just want things to look like their style. I definitely don't like my style enough to feel like that. So, yeah, it's kind of it kind of is really, really dependent on the job, because also you don't really want to if it's a personal thing, you're often not paying as much money for other people's uh, work. So you really need to seduce them with the fact that it's going to be something exciting. So seducing someone who you really respect creatively to get involved in a personal project um, is an art form in and of itself. So like you really need to give someone the tools to believe in your vision. For me, that will be a big bit of writing, which is as visual as possible, uh, which describes scene by scene what's going to happen, paired with reference images. So images, so maybe two mood boards of images that aren't my own, and then style frames, which will be often then change if I'm bringing in an illustrator, but it will be worked up, quite developed, drawings maybe three or four of them and then also some more rough line drawings at the beginning of character or at the beginning of setting or whatever that are more loose to just evoke the fact that I've thought more than just about one finished drawing and then also you know really beefing up the fact that you think that you want them to think that you're professional right so any awards any previous work any really succinct cv page 
And then often I will have tried to already include a production company, which makes people feel like it's more legit, basically. So Strange Beast will often help me on commercial or non-commercial jobs. So having a page on the production company, which shows that you have like a big production machine behind you, which again makes it feel like it's more legitimate and like they might get paid. (laughs) But also I would recommend putting in the initial email, how much you have to pay them, because I find it so like kind of disrespectful and peeving when when people send you these projects and never mention money on the first few emails, because it puts you into a position where you have to find out and it and it's a waste of your time, right? So being transparent with money upfront, I think is really, really helpful. Next up, Anna talks more specifically about a short film she directed called What is Beauty and why she collaborated with the people she did. For What is Beauty, which was a which was a self-directed, like self-initiated short film, there are eight people credited working on animation and colouring. For that film, the budget was so limited. We had £4,000 and it's hand-drawn animation. So it's 12 drawings to make a single second, which, you know, normally would cost. I mean, animation, especially hand-drawn, is very, very expensive because it's so labour-intensive, right? So you're making maximum four seconds a day and that's before colouring and that film is two minutes 30 I think so you can get the calculator out and work out how much you should really get for something like that if you're paying people around 200 pounds to 200 to 300 pounds a day on that job we didn't have the budget for that because we were working on it for two and a half months I think so unfortunately there was a bit of exploitation going on on that of I don't want to ever use people totally unpaid, but there are a few people on that job who had very little animation and colouring experience and we were paying a reduced day rate of like £100 a day. I put some of my own money into it as well. And yeah, it was it with that eight people, it really was people that I loved, that I saw as a wonderful teammate, but also people who weren't that experienced. So I feel like could learn from me with regards like movement and how animated colouring works. So like the thing of cleaning and colour is a whole job role. And some of these people had never done it. Like my friend Juliet had never, ever, 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 ever done it, but she just wanted to learn. And then in the last segment, Anna talks about pipelines and hierarchies on animation sets and how it might differ when you're working on higher budget short films. So on an animation production, it can work in a variety of different ways, depending on whether you have a production company or a producer or whether you're self-producing. I used to produce everything myself. Most of the time, unless you're astronomically big and successful, you will also be designing and animating yourself. But sometimes you will be a creative director and you will be doing things like finding all the illustrators, finding all the animators, and then simply giving briefs to everyone. But the way it works is director and designer, animators, and then clean up, which are the people who make the line really, really clean, which is a whole other job. And then colour. There's like a huge pipeline with animation. But when you're starting out, you tend to just have the idea and draw it and colour it. (laughs) So like most of the time, this pipeline is something that you discover later on. 
as like this way of producing higher budget work where there's too much for one person to take on. And often now with Strange Beast, they will say, who are my production company? They will say, what animators do you think would be appropriate for this job? They'll see if they're available. And then we will bring on another team of people for colour and cleanup who are less experienced, but have my sensibility when it comes to Photoshop or a more like textured, rough colouring approach. So there's different people with different skill sets for different things. But yeah, it's wonderful to have a producer if the budget is is of a certain size uh, because they kind of protect you. In recent years, I've been specialising in hand-drawn, digital hand-drawn, like 2D. But in the past, I have done live action and stop motion, more puppet stuff. And yeah, in terms of with stop motion, a lot of the production cost is very expensive upfront. So you need a studio, you need somewhere to build a set, you need to make puppets, you need to rent a physical space to set up the set. You need cameras, you need lights, you need a blacked out space, which, you know, if you're a young person, especially in like an expensive city, this can be a bit, I think one of the main reasons why I moved into 2D is because production costs are nothing up front other than like maybe Adobe costs, but you can also get free 2D softwares from the internet. So yeah, the the whole the whole thing with stop motion is a lot more high stakes up front. And then when you're in production, you know, it's all set up and you're ready to go kind of thing. But again, to do a really professional looking stop motion job, you'd have to rent beautiful space somewhere with potentially a director of photography. You really have to understand cameras. I worked on a music stop motion music video for six months at university, and I worked out that if I'd made it in London, it would have cost, I think, 125K. <laughs> because I had a stop motion space for six months with two cameras and loads of lights. So, yeah, not to just discourage people because there are workarounds. And then for live action, it's totally different. So, again, you need more money potentially up front. But then it only takes a day or two days to shoot a live action music video. And then you're in the edit, right? So in terms of the time, it's cheaper in some respects because you're not having people work for three months on a two-minute short film. Thank you for listening to Shorthand. Look out for a new episode next week that will focus on the relationship between the cinematographer and the director. Thank you to our guests this week, Amina Ayub Allen, Alice Whitmore and Anna Ginsberg. Shorthand is a BFI Network and Film Hub Southeast podcast produced by Nicole Davis with support from the BFI Network and ICO team. Special thanks to our editor Graciela Mechico and Epidemic for the music. <laughs>